Hey, welcome back to The Last of Us, presented by Pop Culture Leftovers. I'm Brian from Pop Culture Leftovers. I am joined by Joe Stark from Pop Culture Leftovers. Welcome, Joe. Hey, stoked to be here. We've also got uh, Melissa Sloter from the Wild Pretty Things podcast. Welcome, Melissa. Hello, thank you for having me. And he's back from the reality guys on YouTube. Billy, welcome back, man. Happy to be back. What's going on, guys? Yeah, man. Jeez, what happened to you last week? The real world, man. I was working at a meeting that got delayed by an hour, and then that means I'm not catching the right train, and then then the clickers get you. So, I mean, I tried, but I'm here. I'm excited, refreshed. All right, yeah, I was about. We were about ready to replace you with Joe, Joe Vitale. <laughs> Yeah, I was yeah. like, I don't know. I don't know if we can trust Billy anymore. No, I'm kidding. The way she, the way she goes. <laughs> I'm kidding. No, Joe Vitale from the Vintage Geeks joined us last week. He did a great job. And, yeah, it was uh, awesome. Great to have him uh, fill in for you last week, Billy. But it's also great to have you back and talking about the newest episode, episode six of The Last of Us, which was uh, directed by – who? we got a new director on this one. It was uh, – Jasmila Zabanznik, and uh, written by Craig Mazin. And uh, this one was titled Kin, which had many meanings throughout this episode. Uh, family was the biggest, biggest focus in this one. I felt like you've got uh, the, you know, uh, Joel being reunited with Tommy. Uh, Tommy's got himself a new family starting up. Um, and then there's like the, you know, the, the family that I believe is forming between Joel and Ellie. And I think, you know, they, this was a rough episode for them in a lot of ways, but I loved it. I thought it was fantastic. Joe, what did you think about, uh, episode Ken? Yeah, this was, this was, I think what this relationship has been building towards that this moment of truth where they're just going to have to rip the bandaid off say some hurtful things and then push through and, and find the true feelings that are there afterwards. And you get to see this on multiple levels. I mean, poor Joel, he had to go through the damn thing twice with two different people that, that he really, really cared about. But um, this, this episode had some really good, I like the lighthearted scenes at the beginning of it with the, the elderly couple that was in the cabin. I thought that that was a really wonderful piece that we got to see with some people surviving and just the landscapes they traveled through in this episode, absolutely breathtaking. And then getting to this town in Jackson and finally seeing Joel see his brother and just how cathartic of a moment it was for him, yet short-lived as then he started to have to accept the reality of what was going on and then him coming to terms with how he really feels about Ellie. And then also having to come to terms with the fact that he, he, his little brother doesn't need him to protect him. This was just all around a very emotional episode. And then, man, they managed to tack on some very tense scenes along with a real cliffhanger at the very end of this thing. I was, yeah, I mean, as soon as they're getting into that place and looking for these fireflies, it's like, oh, we've seen a scene like this before. And I'm just right on the edge of my seat again and worried about our characters. And it carried right through to the damn credits. Uh, still quite worried about our characters going forward, but this was another fantastic episode, a uh, very, very deeply emotional episode for our characters. Yeah. Yeah. They don't, they don't take their foot off the pedal when it comes to the emotional stuff. I'm telling you, man. Uh, Melissa, what do you think about Ken? Yeah, I think what you, you all have already said is, you know, exactly right. Exactly how I'm feeling about it. Um, when it comes to, 
taking your foot off the gas or not, um, you know, for our emotions, we're still powering through. But I think that this episode really shows like what happens if you are just um, going and going and going like through trauma and through heartbreak and all these things Joel has been going through the second he finds like a moment of rest, the second he's in the company of who he considers his family, like we see him start to fall apart. And I think that's really true to life. Anybody who has uh, been pushing through emotions like that and then finally gotten a moment to breathe and had some breakdown type reactions, I think can really relate to that, even though we are not technically in the post-apocalypse. Um, but I really liked having another episode here. Um, we got the conclusion to the Kathleen story. There was kind of a two episode arc and to start another, what's seeming like at least a two episode arc with what's happening with Joel here, I think is a really fun way to structure a season of television. So I'm really excited to talk about this episode and to see next week. I'm really anxious. <laughs> I didn't watch any clips again for next week. I just was like, no, I'll just wait. I'll see what's going to happen. But uh, Billy, we didn't get to talk to you last week about Endure and Survive. I want to know your thoughts on that. And I want to know your thoughts on Ken. Yeah, uh, last week, I think they did a great job of really adapting one of the kind of key storylines. I also kind of like the symbolism of the fact that the anger and the boiling over of that revenge type of storyline by that militia and by the leadership kind of is represented by the monsters rolling out and the bloater and everybody actually losing Kansas City and how if you really hold on and live for revenge, that's what's going to end up happening to you and kind of in an interesting contrast to this episode, like you guys have all highlighted, this gave us a chance to take it, the, our foot off the brake, breathe. And what I found really interesting is this is definitely the first episode of the series so far where they've allowed the characters and even allowed ourselves to actually think about what would it be like for them to live and not just survive. Since we've been with these characters, it has just been a locomotive train running in, from event to event to event. And this is the first time where they, for a, you know, a moment at least felt relatively safe. And what's really interesting too, is it's showing that in this world, the only way that in a sense that you're safe is because no one's really safe in this world, but the only way to live is to allow yourself to be vulnerable, allow yourself to have kin, whether it's the couple in the beginning, whether it's the commune or with, you know, with, uh, you know, comrade Tommy, or even now maybe with Joel and Ellie as they kind of approach the end of the episode. So just really interesting and kind of a change of pace for the show to show. I guess you could say Bill, Bill and Frank kind of showed that as well. Like if you allow yourself to love, you can actually feel a little safe in this. So a, a different change of pace, but really love this episode in contrast to another great episode last week. Yeah. Um, yeah, fantastic episode. I cannot wait to break this one down and talk to you guys about it. Um, and so, yeah, let's let's jump into this one. It is – I mean, th we start off immediately with them showing us kind of like where we left off. And so we, you know, we saw Henry taking his life and then it flashes to three months later. I I wasn't expecting us to do a time jump into three months later and now we're in the winter and um, at the beginning, when we're watching this man who's coming back from hunting, going back to a cabin, I assumed we were watching Joel after a rabbit hunt here. I assumed that Joel was bringing back dinner and this is where they have been staying for a while uh, during the winter. I, 
And then we come to find out that it's this elderly Native American man named Marlon. And I love this actor, Graham Greene. I've seen him in so many things over the years. Um, and it was uh, it was nice to see him in this role. I was not familiar with the actor that plays his wife, Florence. But my God, if she was not great... <laughs> In, in these scenes, um, she is just sitting there. He can kind of tell something is up. And then she darts her eyes over uh, to her left. And Joel comes out from the cabin holding a gun and uh, basically saying like um, he, he wants directions to head west. To they, they, They'd gone to Cody to look for Tommy. Cody is overrun it's infected um and so now they're trying to find their way to this firefly base and they're basically saying that if you go west and pass what they're they're calling the river of death all you're going to find is death and infected uh uh that it's and 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 people have and bodies uh there's just death there you're not going to find anything but death and uh, I, what did you guys think of this whole scene? I thought it was great. I I loved these two characters that we we just barely got to meet. Oh, absolutely! I, their their dynamic between each other was just so much fun. With with the husband being gruff and practical, and and the wife just being like almost like somewhat spacey. Like she almost comes off like she's a little bit baked. <laughs> it's like while she's sitting there, like he's like, why did you shoot him? And she's like, the gun was like way over there. <laughs> you know? Just the way that, that she delivered those lines was fantastic. A, a really fun couple. And, and when he said that they've been out there surviving for a long time, it just made me happy to think that the, these, these people were just like, you know what? We're going to go out there and live. And, sh- and she's going, she doesn't even want to, but she's doing it anyway. You can tell and, that that's been an argument over the years that she didn't yes. want to live out there. And now she's he's basically for someone to come over <laughs> and hear her. <laughs> well, and then on the flip side, it's like, you know, he's got to be throwing it in her face. Like, uh, this was the right move. Oh, yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. I want. Just the half an hour comedy spinoff of these characters where different people come through. If it was a Disney Plus show, if this was a Disney Plus show, you'd be getting that spinoff. I promise you. (laughs) (laughs) They are hilarious. I love them. (laughs) I think, I mean, arguably in an episode with great acting, she may have the line of the episode when she says, there's Firefly people. And then she just starts giggling. (laughs) <laughs> oh, that was great. That was great. They both start laughing. Uh, it was so good. Well, I, I, you know, I also <laughs> believe that. I think they also think Joel and Ellie are, you know, off their rockers. <laughs> are you guys real? Are you like really, really real right now? Yeah. Uh, doesn't she call Ellie like, well, she's like, yeah, they have a, he has a little girl. Or he has a girl here. And like, doesn't uh, Marlon say yes. so, something like she's a psycho kid or something? Who's this little psycho? <laughs> Who's this little psycho? And she just comes out waving a gun. Uh, but they well, wanted. And then when Joel says, um, "You know, tell me where we are on the map. Your yes. answers better match." He has to check with his wife. Did you lie to them twice? Are you lying to me? Yeah, yeah, because because you know he probably gets it at home as well. <laughs> 
she was lying just to be like gamey and jokey and Joel ends up shooting him. <laughs> Real funny, honey. Just the way this whole scene unwrapped was great because they don't feel like that much of a threat. There's a, a, a good comedic twist to the scene, but then it ends with this ominous warning yeah. that, you know, hey, beyond that river, it's it's all death. Nobody comes back from there. We see bodies. It's both infected and not infected. And man, when you just see them walking, it's they're in these beautiful wide open landscapes. There's also plenty of places where you could still get ambushed and going across that train bridge had me a bit on edge knowing that they're walking into danger. Well, I mean, Joel having this this panic attack has me worried about about him and i mean what do you think is bringing these on is it it, it's got to be as we find out i believe as we find out later just like the the pressure of keeping ellie alive and not having the faith of himself to do so Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely he's he's finally he i don't think he's admitted it to himself yet but he really, really cares about her, and he's really worried about history repeating itself and him losing another daughter. Mm-hmm. And it's spinning him out so bad that when he really starts worrying about it, it's like he's having a heart attack. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, oh, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say real quickly, he seems to somewhat snap out of it in the moment. I mean, we see that these panic attacks are becoming quite regular for him throughout the episode. But when Ellie's saying, are you okay? Are you dying? He's saying, I'm okay. Are you? Because if you're dead, I'm fucked. Like, he somewhat snaps out of it, I think, because she starts panicking about what's wrong with him. So he can go back into, you know, just protector mode and kind of turn that off for a minute he's dealing with it all the time i mean this this the stress of this and and it's even affecting his sleep we saw him sleeping at the camp that they had made and he's he's mumbling something in his sleep he's saying it's supposed to be me it's supposed to be me and i believe in that moment he's talking about you know the death of his daughter sarah oh for sure and yeah i mean this is something that it's weighing on him very heavily. It's it's just any moments that you could say that he affiliates with her, you know, a gun being pointed at himself going into the town and seeing a Christmas tree and then later imagining a Christmas, a final Christmas that he didn't have. It's just and again, I think it does come to kind of the point I said at the beginning where like just even for now, these brief moments where they're able to kind of breathe a, a traumatized brain is going to start flooding itself with those thoughts, especially now that there are no clickers, no raiders, nothing like that to even distract the brain, which were very real distractions of literal survival. But now when you don't have that imminent threat, like what does your brain go to? So they leave the cabin and they uh, continue on this route to, to try and find Tommy. Um, they camp out in a cave uh, we see Joel taping up his boot, which is something that we'd seen Tess do in a previous episode. Uh, we see Ellie. She sees the northern lights in the sky. Is Has that always been possible in Wyoming? Or is this now something that you can only see like in the post-apocalyptic world with like – because Wyoming, 
I mean, yeah, it's, it's far enough north. It's far enough up north. Yeah, I, I, I was thinking. I was wondering if it was something that you could still see even in like Wyoming now. Oh yeah, I mean, supposedly if, if there's a a large enough um, uh, solar flare coming off the sun, you can see it as as low as like where I'm at in Iowa. I've yet to see it. Every time they say we're going to have it, I set my alarm and go outside, and I've yet to see it. Oh yeah, but for sure it would be uh, south far enough to get to Wyoming at times. Yeah, that's something... probably not as much as being like in the Arctic Circle. You'd see it all the time. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, that's, that's something that I'd like to see in my lifetime. For sure, dude. It is. It's it's pretty it's pretty crazy. I remember when I was a kid, I, I was like seven or eight and Haley's Comet, which only comes around every 80 plus years, was coming around. And this was like in the la- mid to late 80s, I, I want to say. Um, and I was I, you know, I was wanting to see it in my telescope and I couldn't see it anyway. But they showed it on the news and it was like. Just this little thing in the sky. <laughs> I was not blown away. 1986. Yeah. It's just like a moving star. Yeah. Yeah. It was just like a moving star, but it only comes around every 80 years. And I was like, you know. Uh, 2062, boys. 2062. I'll be dead, hopefully. Um. <laughs> <laughs> and if you're alive, your your eyes ain't seeing that. Uh, so uh, they're sitting down by the fire and um, – Ellie's asking Joel, like, you know, what would you do um, if they're able to find a cure from her blood and and then the world goes back to normal? And uh, Joel says that he would uh, find an old farmhouse and raise sheep. And uh, then he then he makes a joke about uh, at least uh, sheep do what they're told. And um, Ellie talks about how she'd always wanted to be an astronaut and starts talking about uh um, her favorite astronaut being Sally Ride because she loves her name. And um, then doesn't she open up about uh, – yeah, she opens up about her plan with Sam and her trying to use her blood on Sam to cure him. And and, and Joel says something like, you know, that I don't think that that's how it that, that works. And so um, – you gotta you gotta think to yourself though this is the first time she's admitting that to him and it's three months later we had just seen it in the previous episode but it it took her three months to get to this point to tell him that yeah that's a long time to hold that that secret and that hurt inside yeah that is a really good point that's something i think that kind of does get lost a little bit because it is a quick kind of three months later and you do see the change of scenery and all but i think like until you just said that, Brian, that really that part of it didn't register as much with me as a viewer. So, yeah, I, I think it's a great point. Yeah. She held on to it for a while. I mean, that I think that that, that death really affected her. I mean, we don't know about everything that happened with Riley, and I'm sure we'll find that out. But um, I think Sam's death was another one that really affected her so much so she couldn't talk about it for three months. Um I love this next part because Joel wakes up and realizes that he fell asleep and that Ellie had been keeping guard and Joel's upset that she didn't wake her up. And Ellie basically goes through 
and tells him everything that she did keeping guard and how she did it right. It's like she's learned from Joel what she needs to do. That's something I brought up in a previous episode. Like, I don't like it when these kids blow off the adults. They don't listen. They do things their own way and their way is the right way and the adults look like dopes. It's just like in this version, he's been teaching her and he thinks that, you know, she's young. She's not mature. And this is that moment where I think he learns that she has been listening to me. My what she, what I've been teaching her is valuable, and she's proving herself to me that she's she's mature enough to handle this. She's mature enough to handle this, and we see it even later in the episode. I'm jumping ahead, but like when he's teaching her how to you know shoot the rifle. And she's saying, you know, there's something wrong. She thinks there's something wrong with the gun, something wrong with the scope. And she hands it over to him and he's able to hit the bullseye. Hmm. <laughs> and it's like, I, I'm not a big fan of just handing somebody something and then the first time just being like an expert in that thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, and most times there is a learning curve to learn how to, to do stuff like that. Yeah. Um, in this scene, the way that Joel was so upset about it, I think it's because inside he's still horrified by the fact that a girl this age has to learn these skills. And at the same time that he's horrified about it, he's very upset with himself because he feels like because he's slipping, she's having to step in and do these things. And he hasn't accepted the fact that to be a good father in this world, these are the skills you have to teach your children. Is as horrifying as that is, if you don't teach your children's a, a, a certain level of violence and in, in, in handling weapons and stuff like that, they're not going to make it. Well, think about hundreds of years ago when, you know, uh, women would have to go down to like the creek bed to clean the clothes. They were taking guns with them. You don't know what's out there. I mean, that's just the world that they were in. And in this world, it's it is different, but there are dangers. You don't know, like hundreds of years ago, having to go out there, you don't know if a bear is going to walk up on you, a cougar, whatever. You still this is just the world that he needs to realize it's not the way that it used to be. Kids need to have protection. Kids need to learn these skills because this is the world that we live in now. Yeah, that's it's just the sad reality. And Ellie is a fast learner. She is the definition of like a sponge. And it's it's great. And, and I agree with you, Brian. It's not it's always the worst when you have incapable kind of younger child characters that just are constant, say, roadblocks. And while she's not perfect, she definitely learns quickly. And as we've already seen, kind of has a, a knack for living in this world and, and the kind of ruthlessness that you'll need so i mean it's it's just really cool to like you said to see that like mentorship aspect it kind of reminds me of like an anime honestly seeing like a mentor young mentee but like the young mentee is actually powerful and capable yeah it's an interesting dynamic yeah it's very cool um we see ellie trying to learn how to whistle she can't do it um she wants to learn how to hunt at some point and starts talking about you know joel brings it up like 
well that you know, it's not just the hunt it, it's the you know the dressing as well and basically like you've got to skin the animal and take out all the guts and all that stuff and she's like why is it called dressing it should be called undressing <laughs> and i love that he didn't have a good answer for that yeah yeah <laughs> because actually why though the full term is field dressing an animal Okay. It's good stuff. I learned how to do it when I was like 11 with a deer. I have. Been... I feel like Joel's mansplaining not only to Melissa, but me and Billy as well. well like, I, it's I, like somewhat necessary. Yeah. If I would have launched into where you make the first cut and what you got to avoid, I'd be on your side. No, it just, no, it just I... reiterates to me that I'm not a real man, Joe. <laughs> I can teach you. Come on. We'll, we'll start with squirrels. The term field dressing, I think I could have because um, I grew up in a cornfield. Like I've seen a deer be dressed live yeah. and in color and it was pretty horrifying. It's gnarly, <laughs> but, isn't it? Yeah, I've never thought to ask, like, why do you call it that? I'll stick the Newman's own dressing, guys. That's, uh, <laughs> yeah. that's the only dressing I really give a shit about. Um, yeah, uh, let's see here. They come across a hydroelectric dam. I loved it when Ellie saw it and she goes, damn. And he says, you're no, you're no Will Livingston talking about the guy from the pun book. And <laughs> I didn't catch that joke. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that that was great. Um, oh, one thing I want to point out also earlier when she was trying to whistle, that's totally an Easter egg from the game. Like she walks around trying to whistle following Joel in the game. Oh, okay. Oh, that's fun. I yeah. can't whistle either. <laughs> I can't do a loud whistle. Yeah, like, I can't I can do like a little bird call, but that's about it. I can't do that, you know, Phil Jackson whistle, you know, Phil Jackson, coach of the Bulls and Lakers. Like he's he's got that powerful whistle. I can't do that one. I can whistle, but I just can't throw the two fingers in my mouth and, you know. Yeah, that that's like a superpower. I don't know how yeah. people do that. Yeah. God. <laughs> they uh I think it's interesting too about the dam and the power players that was like a big playable section in the game and they don't really focus on it outside of just highlighting its existence but it's it's definitely like a very like meaty part of the game yeah um there's a couple things that i noticed for i i watched uh, uh one video about this uh this episode and they're uh, there's a there's a moment in the episode where there's a poster of a giraffe on the wall and apparently in the game they they come across a live giraffe at one point. So they just they're doing a little like little nods to the game in that way. There are a lot of subtle nods and not just kind of the outward ones that a lot of people are talking about to actually like the second game. So I'm not going to really get into a lot of them. I don't want to like foreshadow like any like locations and things like that. But they are definitely building out. It's very interesting to see how they're able to tell the story of the first game now with the second game being written already, right? It wasn't written when they wrote the first game, obviously. So you don't have that kind of world additional. So it is nice and kind of cool to see it with the arc and path already written out for them to see what they can include, which would make sense to be included. So they, they're walking along and then all of a sudden this, uh, a group of armed survivors are on horseback and surround them. They, they tell them to drop their weapons. And then we, they, their leader, who is, uh, Maria, we don't catch her name at this time, but I knew the actor. I'm a big fan of hers. Uh, Rutina Wesley from, uh, she played Tara on True Blood. 
True yes. blood. True love, blood. True blood. True blood. <laughs> I loved the first. I loved maybe the first three seasons. For and then it just when it started getting into fairies and stuff, I was like, "This yeah. is getting silly." But so I had read all mess. those books, and I was into it. Yeah. <laughs> I read a whole does, bunch of them, Melissa. <laughs> it does change from being that's amazing show. Um, no, I does, got probably about like eight or nine of them. It's sad. <laughs> there is too many. And like the show goes too far, I'll admit, but still, Tina Wesley yeah. fucking rules. Oh, she I, she was great as Tara. I loved her. She, oh, as soon as I saw her on the thumbnail, I got excited. I was like, oh, I haven't seen her in something in so long, and I absolutely yeah. loved her. And she's playing such a similar, just like no bullshit type character in this. And as soon as she started talking, I was like, oh man, I know she can do these lines and she killed it in this episode. She was great. It was great seeing her again. I haven't seen her in anything probably since True Blood. I'm sure she's been in stuff. I just haven't seen her in anything. It was nice to see her in this show. Um, they're wanting to find out if they've been infected. So the first thing that they need to do is, uh, they're sending in, uh, they've got a dog that can sniff for this, which I thought was pretty brilliant that, that dogs, we saw in the first episode that that dog could sense that there was something wrong with their owner. And then, mm-hmm. uh, in, at the neighbor's house. And in this one, the, they've, they've basically, which is wild because in real life, there are dogs that, that. Can have you seen the dogs that can sniff cancer, Joe? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, dogs are incredible, and so th- dogs can sniff COVID. I think. Oh, wild! Even already, yeah. So yeah, they've got uh, they've got a dog here that's going to sniff both Joel and Ellie for infection. I and the, the dog's ready to the the dog is trained to attack. I feel like the dog – I feel like if somebody's infected, the dog's just going to start biting down on them at that oh, point. Oh, yeah. And, uh, of course, Joel passes. And I, what were you guys thinking? I was worried. I was worried about Ellie here. Oh, yeah. The worried. way they filmed this, I was so worried with the the dog doing that low menacing growl and, and you just see the terror on Joel's face and all these people surrounding him leveling guns that – I mean these people are going to kill – on on site immediately if there's any indication and so they filmed this perfectly to to really really give you anxiety what does it prove i know we we know that she can't that that her her blood contains certain antibodies it's a cure for the cordyceps virus but once she gets infected does it just not grow and spread and so because yeah there's her been, body's able to somehow i don't know if it would be metabolize or it, it neutralize it or something like that but the curious thing is is that she shows up red on the fedra electric scanners yes yeah but the dog I was like you know i mean I, the dog eventually was like liked her enough to where i was like i'm gonna be cool with you and actually playful and stuff but at first the dog was like you're not smelling right but you're not smelling a hundred percent wrong either, and so right. man, it was it was a scary situation. Just shows that the dog is actually better than the scanner. Mm-hmm. Yes, or there's absolutely. like nuance to this infection that the scanner can't tell you. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, I mean, I kind of read it less that maybe that it's like more like more localized, say in her body, and more so the fact that it's just like the dog able to discern that. And again, this isn't the term they like using, but she's not a zombie right she she's in control of herself she's not 
already being taken over by this infection. So I think that's maybe like the discernment there. I'm not sure if they get into like the physiology and like what they're going to establish and such. But like I, that's how I read it at least. Yeah, Joe, I like that. Yeah. Like the dog is like, you know, you definitely kind of smell infected, but you also smell like a regular human and you're acting fine. Yeah, I like that, that the dog's able to discern that. So now that they've now that they've got confirmation that neither are infected, it still doesn't mean that like <laughs> we can trust these people. Um, Joel explains, you know, that he's looking for his brother. And at this point, I feel like he prop. I'm sorry, my cat. Uh, at this point, I feel like, you know, he they cut away and there is it, there's a moment where he's probably do you guys think that there's a moment off screen where he's telling him that I'm looking for my brother Tommy I'm not 100% sure that that happens or not maybe he just says he's looking for his brother because I think maybe if he would have dropped the name Tommy Maria might have chimed in at that point I inferred that he had said that it made I thought like okay I'm looking for my brother Tommy and I know maybe she didn't reveal herself at that moment, but yeah, it would. I, it, they they didn't explicitly put it as hard to tell if it was like a surprise or whatever the case is. How did you How did you guys read that? I I read it as no matter what they were going to be making sure that they weren't infected first, because right away afterwards the guy's like, "You bought ten seconds. What are you doing here?" And and that's when she was willing to to engage. As soon as he says he's looking for his brother. She probably sees a little bit of a resemblance and yeah. knows that that Tommy's probably said, I wouldn't be surprised if Joel comes looking for me at some point. See, like, you need to let me get on the radio because he's going to show up here. <laughs> I know this man. <laughs> but see, it's like one of those things where Joel, as soon as he met Marlon, did, you know, drop the name of his brother. Like, you know, have you met anybody by the name of Tommy? And he's like, did he look? Does he look like you? No, I haven't. You know, so. I don't know. Yeah, I guess it's it's not that important. It I think it just made sense for the story for him to find out later that she's with Tommy, um, because us as an audience are also finding out in that moment. Yeah, I, I was probably just a, a narrative choice. Yeah. Uh, so we find uh, we're we're brought to the uh, this uh, gated community of Jackson, and um, it is full of. Uh, people that I mean, it looks like a town from like the old west. I mean, it, it people are uh, working in the town. They're getting ready ready to celebrate Christmas. They've um, and um, Tommy is working on a construction project outside, and then that's when Joel sees him, and we get a big hug from the two. And uh, it was a, it was a nice moment. Oh, and that's the way that Pedro Pascal shouted Tommy in that moment. It was just so charged and there was so much relief and, and emotion in it. And it was a, that was a really beautiful scene. And also, man, when they go into that place and it's showing the wall around it and yeah. the level of gate that they have around it, you know, they're pretty well fortified, especially if they can just keep snipers up on those walls and keep people with fire away from away from those wooden uh logs are they man, that was impressive are they setting this up are they setting this i mean that's got to be an expensive place to kind of make for you know this hbo show 
I mean, is this the? I can't believe this is going to be the last we're going to see of it. Are, are they setting it up for a big action set piece with clickers later? Do you think? Oh shit! I don't know. I hadn't even considered that. Billy might I know, mean, and I don't. Kind of sad. I hope not. I'm Billy, just stay, I'm like, I'm just staying quiet. I, the, it, you know, it, it could, it may or may not appear. <laughs> for any amount of short or long duration it just seems like you know an expensive kind of set piece that they might want to use again and 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 it looks like it's a a pretty big fort and it could be an interesting place to to see clickers attacking i don't know i'm just i'm curious if this is something that we might might see again um joel and ellie go into the cafeteria to get some food and um you know this is the uh, ellie's never she she's considering like, like this the first real meal she's ever had in her life she said something like uh-huh. what is, she she drops an f-bomb here and it, something like i've never fucking had a real meal yeah <laughs> First, I've never had a real meal. This is like good as fuck. This is fucking good or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently, kids are not talking like this within the walls of Jackson. And uh, well, it must be nice <laughs> for them to yeah. have Christmas. <laughs> well, yeah, because these kids that are in Jackson are growing up in a in a somewhat civilized pocket of this world right now. They're growing Whereas up Evel- in a in a communist government. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that right. moment was. So- so funny. It was very funny. Well, it was, no, it's not like that. Uh, well, yeah, the, it is. The, <laughs> be- the literal commune. The best part of it was Tommy realizing it. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> you could see the wheels turning in his head as Sorry, he's being like, Texas. oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. Shit. Like, it's so funny. <laughs> okay, so this one girl is kind of like in the distance and staring at Ellie. And Ellie looks at her and goes, what? I was just like, oh, my God. She's so aggressive. And what oh, what drives me crazy is seeing, like, I'm flipping through on the Internet and there's something. You know what? I'm not going to say it here because I don't want to spoil anything. I'll shut up. I just don't like the Internet giving away certain things. Anyway. I'm I'm really worried about that just, like, in general with the time heading for, like, season two and stuff. Like, how much time mm-hmm. there's going to be and just, like, how much talk. People are going to basically, like, if you don't want to be spoiled, you're going to have to block Last of Us as, like, a keyword. And that, that right. sucks. Yeah. 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 Um, and so uh, at this point, um, Ellie is just – she's – I mean, she's – She's still kind of, I guess, reeling from the fact that they were holding her at gunpoint and Tommy and Maria uh, apologize uh, for getting off on the wrong foot with her. And um, they basically explain, like, you know, there's certain things that we have to do to protect this place. And um, so uh, Joel wants to have a talk between him and Tommy and uh, between family is what he says. And that's where Tommy holds the hand of Maria and says like, you know, she is family. And uh, Ellie, Ellie just kind of does a quick turn here and says, congrats. She's all happy it's about really it. Now. <laughs> and then she's like, tell, yeah, she's like, <laughs> this is another moment where she's got to like, like it was earlier. It was like him trying to instill some politeness and in, in, uh, into her. And, and now she's saying, you know, hey, 
Say congrats, Joel. <laughs> it was a great role reversal. It's a fun simultaneous moment of her being like, oh, well, this makes things easier. And then Joel being like, oh, this makes things harder. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, uh, Tommy and Maria then uh, take them on a, a tour of Jackson. Um, they they talk about how it was an abandoned gated community and they had found it seven years ago, turned it into a commune. And um, uh, they don't advertise their location. Um, so they stay off the radio, which is why Tommy stopped, you know, contacting Joel on the radio. Um, they also get their power from the dam and, um, yeah, this, and so Ellie's just like, this is a real, th- this place really works. And, um, yeah, it's beautiful. They have animals, they've got, um, uh, horses and, uh, Ellie is introduced to a horse named Shimmer who I found out is in the game. Is this like a big part of the game? Uh, it's a, a horse in part two. Oh, nice. I don't know if I could look at Easter egg because it's like a name from something like that. You know, it's kind of like a thing. Okay. Um, Tommy and Joel uh, go together to uh, have a drink in uh, the bar. Um, Tommy asks Joel, you know, how is Tess? And Joel says she's fine. And... Um, He's base. He's he starts to explain that he's taking Ellie to meet the fireflies. The whole reason he's here is to 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 get her uh, to her family among the fireflies. And um, Tommy then talks about how the fireflies have a base in Boulder at the University of Eastern Colorado, and uh, it's about a week away on horseback and. You know, to expect that you're going to run into maybe some bad people, some infected. Um, Joel wants Tommy to to go with them. Tommy at this point explains that Marie is pregnant. And um, this is where, like, we've had all these talks of Joel talking about his brother being a joiner and joining this cause, joining the military, joining the fireflies. Now he's joined this group. I think this one kind of like, I think this is bigger than all of them though. Like this is his family. And I I think like Joel's still holding on to some, um, to some anger here because of, Tommy leaving him to go and make up for all the bad things that him and Joel were involved in when they were together. And we don't know everything that they did while they were together, but we can assume from the things that we've, you know, that that Joel has said, the things that Tess has said, the things that Maria says in this episode, that they did some bad things and killed some people. And yeah. That reminds when Tommy's around Joel, that reminds Tommy of the bad things that they did. That's something there's some healing that really needs to take place between these two. Um, So Tommy's trying to make up for that and he's trying to live this new life. 
And I think seeing Joel, as much as he loves his brother, it is a constant reminder of the bad things that they did together. Like these have to be, these have to be bad, like bad. They weren't things. People. They were people and we killed them. Yeah. Like that line was a heartbreaker for me. Just like Joel's has to now when he gets here has to kind of sit here and actually face his truth and his demons. Tommy has to do the same. Tommy, as you can see here, has curated a very nice life for himself, but it's also curated a nice life. And you can kind of tell from the interactions that his wife has with Ellie that he put a lot of the blame on Joel. And he obviously does blame a lot of it on Joel, but I think he's going to have to come to the understanding, too, that like he did these things as well, just like Joel says. And like maybe I think a lot of that could be the fear of like, Will I not be accepted in my my built home if they know that I wasn't just this follower and I also was like very actively involved? I think it's a very natural fear that you don't want to lose this basically this paradise. Yeah, like essentially he's he's left this part of his life behind, but then that part of his life shows back up and it's more complicated because that part of your life is family. And with Joel, he's upset because he's seen that his little brother's gone and grown up finally. And he he doesn't need his big brother to come rescue him. In fact, he's moved on so far that he's starting his own family. Well, there's also this – I don't know. uh, Tell me if this makes any sense. It's like like Joel did everything he could for his brother to keep his brother alive and keep him safe. He's even said it in the past. Like half of the reason that he even traveled – he was even with the Fireflies in the first place is because he was looking out for his brother. So he does all this. He makes all these probably horrible, like he does all these awful things, but it's all to keep his, the one piece of his family alive. And so now it's like he's protecting Ellie and he's having to do a lot of things again. He's having, there's a lot of killing. There's a lot of things that he's doing to keep her alive. Do you think that there's part of him that he just feels like he, that he just ruins everything and he doesn't want to he doesn't want to be burdened or he doesn't want to burden Ellie with this either now he doesn't want to put her through what he's put Tommy through hmm i i think it's mostly he's worried about the fact that i think he's more worried about his own potential for loss and heartbreak yeah and i think it is part of that too Brian like you said like he he was there like you know tommy saw him lose his daughter tommy was there for him they did what they had to do to survive and like you said tommy is now multiple times in his life whether it be the army the fireflies now this new group has always chosen to go find his identity and his home with strangers and joel's like well i'm right here you know i've always been here and like you said brian i've gone from being a builder to a, a basically a mercenary but in order to help you in a lot of ways and i do think there's that subconsciousness of kind of like you're a little ungrateful honestly like good for you bud like i'm really glad that you're having a, you know we've got what you're gonna have a kid and you have a wife in this at a movie theater like i really thought you're gonna like help me out here right like but like when he hears that like his, how great this life is there is probably part of that like jealousy too like well, shit, like now you got it all. Like, what the hell do I have? You know what I mean? So, the, yeah, I did all this. Sucks. I did all this for you. And now you have all, you know, yeah, I, 
I don't know. Yeah, There's you a- go and move on and don't even let me know. Yeah. Yeah. Send me a message real quick so I can come be warm too, right? Like it's that part's like what the hell. What's wild though is like it's so different between Tommy and Ellie are so different when it comes to Joel because I feel like Tommy has seen the things that Joel does and it has scared him about who his about who he is when he's with his brother and what he's had to witness. But on the flip side, when Ellie sees Joel beat up that Fedra soldier, like she's kind of attracted to that violence. It's a different dynamic between those two. Yeah. Well, and it's because even though Tommy was a soldier, he still grew up in a civilized world. And and Ellie is such a she's such a product of the world that she's grown up in. And not just the world, but the part of it that she she was raised in a federal school to be a soldier. <laughs> you know, from like I mean, she's essentially a child soldier living in this world. It's it's a really crazy dynamic. So um Yeah. Joel, um, Joel's a, yeah. Tommy tells Joel, um, that just because his life stopped, it doesn't mean it has to stop for him. And, um, Joel leaves and, um, says, you know, we're, we're, we'll leave in the morning. And, um, this is when he has another one of these panic attacks. Um, and then sees this was heartbreaking. He sees a woman in a, in the crowd there in the town square, and um, while they're singing Christmas car- uh, carols, and the woman looks about the age that Sarah would be now, and she's got the same hair, and and she's got like a daughter of her uh-huh. own. He, he's almost seeing like this is the path that could have been mm-hmm. had the, had the world not gone to shit. This is. I, I would have seen Sarah grow up. I would have been a grandfather. I would have seen her have a child. And I, I think in that moment, it's it's really reminding him of the fact that he's not making the right choice here. Yeah. Uh, Ellie, we we see Ellie. She's uh, she's she. They're able to shower there. She gets a shower. She gets new clothes. Uh, Maria, it's a diva cup. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> She's like weirdest gift ever. But Maria is like the most caring, thoughtful person. Just period. Post apocalypse aside, like to give a young girl who is alone in the world with a middle aged man, a diva cup is an amazing gift. And then such a nice haircut just like it's obviously been forever since someone has taken care of you let me get my scissors and then uh one of the sad parts about this world is just having to see the there's a chalkboard sign of it's basically a memorial for uh um kevin and sarah and so that was that's just the world that that we're in it's a sad and to see that um, this boy, Kevin, wasn't he only like th- three years old? Oh, I did not do that math. I think yeah, the, I didn't either. I think the boy was born in 2000 and died <sighs> in 2003. Days. He was only three, yeah. Days Ugh. after the pandemic started. Oh, my God. It's just. 
all these people are just living in, in a world with just so much hurt and sadness. And it's 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 one of the heaviest parts of the show to me is just how well they portray that side of it. And then seeing Sarah, just be- how bleak this world would be. Sarah, you know, born in 89, dies in 2003. Same age as Ellie. Like, wow. Sure. Um, Maria, yeah, she cuts her hair and uh, they start talking about how she used to be an assistant district attorney. And... That's when they start to talk about the memorial over the fireplace. And this is when Ellie realizes that um, Sarah was Joel's daughter. And Ellie says it, you know, it kind of that explains some things. Um, Maria then tells Ellie, you know, she made a she may, she may not really know who Joel is. And then Ellie basically says, I know that he's done some bad things. He's killed people. But she's like Tommy did too. If she gets it, yeah, you know, she doesn't judge. She understands, and it's um, it's something different than in the game. You don't get to actually see her the moment she finds out. We just through conversation realize that she knows. So it was very interesting, and like you said, in one moment, it just illuminates everything for her. I mean, it just changes everything in one moment. She just understands him almost like she already understood him a lot. But now she understands everything. Ellie's at the uh, the town is having a movie, watching a movie together. They're watching uh, Goodbye Girl. Have you guys I've never seen it's a Richard Dreyfuss movie. I've never seen Goodbye Girl. No, I've never seen it before either. Nope. Uh, I hear it's good. Uh, I've not seen I love Richard Dreyfuss as well. So, um. Anyway, uh, Tommy finds Joel in a cobbler's workshop working on his boots. And then Tommy shows up with a brand new pair of boots for Joel, which I thought was very nice. Um, Tommy apologizes uh, for being rude and um, says basically like, you know, the path to that university uh, is you can handle it. You can make it there. Um, this is when Joel tells Tommy everything. Marie is not there. He tells him everything that Ellie is immune to the cordyceps. He saw her get bit. It's been months. And then he starts to talk about how Tess died and what happened in Kansas City. And he's worried about Ellie making it there. He's opening up. He's crying. Is this the first time since his daughter died that we've seen Joel cry? Yeah. I think so. I've never seen him more vulnerable in this series than in those two moments. This this moment here and then the moment where his daughter died in his arms. Like I and Pedro Pascal, like. Give this man an Emmy for this. Like, oh, he crushed this scene right here. He comes off as a very strong man in every episode. Just strong and able to take on anything. And he's held it in for so long. For so long. Think about, like, when we see him again, when they do the 20-year time jump. And how he's adapted to this world, how he is around Tess, how he is around Ellie. 
he's emotionally walled off. Very much so. And I like it just like it that just stops, man. And he, the, the 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 tear wells just start just start pouring out here. And uh I've never seen him so vulnerable talking about how he's too weak to protect her and um he's dreaming about uh he's having nightmares about her dying and um he's begging Tommy to take her to the fireflies that he's younger he can do it and um and this- i think also he just wants to distance himself from Ellie he doesn't want to he doesn't want to open himself up to that potential for her again it's exactly right, Joe. It's like allowing yourself to love again and be vulnerable opens up the other part, the risk, the pain, the loss that comes with it, right? And he just isn't sure that he can literally handle it again. Yeah, it's like it's like Bill told Frank, you know, I wasn't afraid until I had you. And now Bill yeah. and now Joel is feeling fear. And he hasn't felt fear, I think, in a long time because he's had it under wraps. And now he's feeling fear so intensely that when it strikes him, it feels like a heart attack. And just, you know, like if I he feels like he couldn't protect Sarah in the moment and he doesn't want to go through that again either. Like he doesn't want to be the cause of her dying. Yes. Man. Yeah, I I thought that this was a powerful scene and I, you know, I'm thinking about Tommy in this moment. What is Tommy going to say? And I felt like in this moment with him just breaking down those walls and crying the way that he did to his brother that I was like, you know, I'm glad that Tommy agreed to do it. I think that there's some healing there. Just the fact that he agreed to do it. Like we know what happens later, but just the fact that Tommy would do this moment. Tommy was willing to do it. He agreed to Joel's terms. I'm going to, I'm going to take this girl that I have no connection to and I'm going to take her on a very dangerous ride when I have a pregnant wife at home that I can't tell the truth to about why I'm doing this. Joel does a good job of selling it, too. He's like, you know, you've always wanted to be a part of something big, you know, like something to something that can help this world. But, you know, even going back to joining the military and, uh, you know, being a part of Operation Desert Storm and then joining the Fireflies later, finding out that's not all that it's cracked up to be. But then joining this this community and now he has something – now he could do something that could really change the world. So he kind of sells it to Tommy as well. Like, you know, this is personally something you've been wanting to do. But I think a lot of it did come down to the fact that his brother, you know, said, do this for me. Please do this for me and I'll never ask anything of you again. Yeah, and he probably hasn't seen Joel – that emotional since the night that Sarah died. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Joel, then uh, we see Joel get back to the house um, and we see Ellie in her room. She's reading a diary of the girl that had lived there before. And, you know, (laughs) what teenage girls were into before, like, you know, just, I guess, boys and what I, what did she say? I think she says what skirt to wear. <laughs> yeah, what shirt and what skirt to wear or something. <laughs> yeah, what match or whatever, yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, 
Joel realizes that she had overheard some of uh, he and uh, Tommy's talk when he was uh, uh, in the shoe repair. And uh, Ellie basically comes out and says, you know, I'm not Sarah. Um, Joel tells her that she doesn't understand what it's like to lose somebody. And she points out to him that everyone that she's ever cared for has either died or, or left her. Everybody except for Joel. And I've watched this twice. And the emotion that Bella Ramsey has in this scene, I mean, we go from Joel breaking down to now, to now Ellie breaking down and, and when she pushes him and the way I've seen it both times and both times I get hit emotionally. Like I'm almost ready to fucking burst into tears from this scene. This scene hit me really hard. Same. This was the scene that, that made me roll tears. I, I, I thought Pedro Pascal's um, monologue that he does in the previous scene was incredibly moving, but this was the one that pushed me over the edge. Same. And she, yeah, Bella Ramsey did a very good job with this. Like, he absolutely believed it. You, you hear that desperation in her voice that she's like, no, I have finally made, like, I've, I've chosen you. Like you, you don't get a choice in this. I've chosen you. You're saying that I don't know anything about loss and you're just going to be another person in my life that goes away after I've started to care about him. And, oh man, you totally believe it. This is where I was expecting her to like snap back at him and be like, I'm just cargo. Right. But she didn't. Oh, that would have been great. It's like the pivotal from this is almost I mean, it is almost line for line from the source material. This in my this was like the most memorable scene, in my opinion, from the game as far as it's like a normal conversation. And it is just like cathar catharsis. And it's just um, letting it all go, like you said, and seeing what you can build after you let all of that go. And um, I'm glad that they just allow that scene to kind of breathe there at the end. And he walks away and there we're kind of just like left there with them. Right. It's not interrupted it's not some crazy thing that ends it like it's just them getting to dwell on an honest conversation joel makes the point that you know you're not my daughter and i'm not your father and basically that tommy's gonna take you and um the morning comes ellie is already up ready to go. Tommy, I was like half expecting that Joel was going to open the door and it was Tommy. Um, and takes Ellie down to the stables. And this is like, <laughs> this is like, this is, this made me smile. You see Joel there and he's, uh, he's trying to steal one of the horses and he tells Ellie that she deserves a choice of who she's going to go with. And, She's, she's just like, I'm going with you. I, I love it. She just immediately throws the duffel bag at him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, man. I'm telling you, for like an episode that, you know, no clickers, no nothing. You don't always need that in this. I mean, it just uh, just these emotional moments, man. Yeah. The human moments are what's yeah. really carrying this through. Yeah. Some episodes have to save on the visual effects budget. <laughs> and I love that. Um, 
Well, this town cost a fucking lot, Billy. I can tell you that much. <laughs> and all the extras oh, that they had sure. to get into costume. Yeah, this was no set. This was no cheap set piece. Uh, I was very impressed with this. Um, it's really cool. It, yeah, it, it was very cool. Um, Joel says goodbye to Tommy, and Tommy lets them know. And I thought that this was awesome. That you know, you can always come back here to Jackson. There's a place for you here, and I loved. I love that because it felt like at the beginning of the episode, it was almost like Joel was feeling like you don't want me here. Like I, I'm the bad people that you want. I'm the kind of person that you want to keep out of this town because Tommy knows his past. And here he is. Tommy's got, you know, open arms for him and Ellie if they do decide to come back. Um <laughs> uh they're making their way to Boulder and this is where they have the uh they do stop and and um they're uh he's teaching Ellie how to shoot with the with the rifle and the scope and and I love that and I loved the the moment where he's talking about his life before and what he did and how he was a contractor and <laughs> oh, that scene was fantastic <laughs> and I loved it when at the end of it where he's like Everybody loved contractors. And, yeah. and like the way that, that he's his I mean, as the scene cuts, his you see his smile getting bigger uh -huh. and bigger. Yeah. To where he's like, you know, he's like, hey, I'm gonna make up some false history. Well, I love the I love the way that <laughs> Who's gonna tell her. I love the way that didn't like contractors. I love the way that Ellie says the contractor. She's like, the contractor. Yeah. And then later she's <laughs> like like the Batman voice. And then later <laughs> And then later she's like, contractor. <laughs> no perception of what it actually was. She, she cracked me up, man. Oh, my God. <laughs> they talk about there's another part where they're talking about the uh, football and, and the rules of football. And I, I really enjoyed them talking. Um, just, just, just their dynamic as these characters is just fantastic. The, the further we get into the series, it's really good. Well, and especially this dynamic here in this moment where now they've been open with each other. Yeah. Those, you know, those, those wounds have been laid bare and now they're healing and, and Joel's actually opening up and telling her about his life and, and being more forthcoming about what the world was like. He's, he's acting more like a dad, you know, and she's riding on the back of the horse and, you know, resting her head against his shoulder. And it's there, there is much more of a father daughter bond from this moment out in this episode. I love these characters, man. I'm telling you, like, dude, I get fucking upset to think anything's going to happen to either of them throughout watching. Oh, this series. yes. I like episode I, over. I, <laughs> Let's <God>. not continue. <laughs> yeah, I just I, I yeah, there will be no episode seven review because I'm just going to leave it here. No, I got to see what happens. <laughs> I still have to see what happens with Joel, but I just don't want anything to happen to either of these characters by the time we get to, you know, the final episode of this of this series, whenever that will be. Um, they do they do find the uh, the university, and uh, Joel starts talking about how he wants to change his answer from before when he was talking about, um, you know, he wanted to. Uh, you know, start a, you know, to be a sheep farmer, sheep farmer. <laughs> I cracked up when he said he wanted to be a singer. 
<laughs> and Ellie's this like, "This is why he won't sing for soulful. us, Brian." You're already laughing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with Ellie on this one. I thought it. I love the. I love the fact that he felt comfortable enough to admit this. But I, I, I also love the fact that Ellie does exactly what I would have done here and starts to laugh. <laughs> You expect to be like, well, anyway, here's Wonderwall. The Contractor is the name of his first album. <laughs> oh, man. And then she's talking about how, like, you know, hey, I'm going to save the world. But the one thing I want to hear you do is sing. You know, that's the least you could do for me. <laughs> and um, they see some, uh, some, I guess, you know, there had been some testing going on there. So there's these escaped monkeys that are uh, out there on the, on the, on the campus. And, and, and uh, some of them are actually within the university. So Dude, I worried about infected monkeys for a second. I was like, if we get a monkey clicker, <laughs> I'm going to freak the fuck out. I, I've watched too many planet of the apes movies. I was thinking maybe like Caesar, you know, is going to have a uh-huh. ape, uprising here no um but uh they start seeing then uh, ellie notices a firefly symbol so they know that that they're close the thing is we're not seeing anyone we we're, we're it, it's very quiet we're not seeing anyone and so they go inside and they find out that uh the fireflies and the scientists and everything have have left um First off, why did they leave? Like, it, they, like they left a lot of shit there too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, they sure did. It's almost like the something. Way that they ha- left their monkeys is alarming to me. Mm. <laughs> Just let them be free. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There is actually like a, a backstory to the monkeys in the game. Oh, nice. Basically, I mean, it's a, basically it's like the scientists like freed them before they left kind of thing so they weren't just like sitting in cages that's sweet like that is nice of them yeah doesn't Uh, end well for the scientist but it's like why didn't you think you wanted monkeys where you were going (laughs) i have questions I, yeah. No, there's going to be monkeys. There's there. got to be a... into Salt Lake City monkeys. <laughs> well, the monkeys are the monkeys, monkeys are infected. Oh, the monkeys are infected. Yeah, the monkeys are infected. But oh, can so animals? We are just hours before monkey clickers. Oh well, shit! Not like monkey clickers, but just like angry monkeys. Oh, I've seen Twenty Eight Days Later. <laughs> Uh, when they look on the map and it looks like the, the fireflies are, are relocating to Salt Lake City. Um, and, uh, they hear a noise and they look outside and there are, there's a group of four raiders. And so Joel wants to just get the hell out of there. And, um, they know where they need to go now. They need to go to Salt Lake City. So Joel and Ellie, uh, head out a back door. And uh, get up on the horse. Joel is unhooking the horse. And then Ellie says, Joel. And then Joel, one of the raiders just comes up on him. Joel um, gets him in a headlock, snaps his neck. And then I even watched this. I went back and watched this. I could not see where this guy stabbed him. 
Well, when he comes running up, he swings a baseball bat, misses Joel, but hits the tree. The baseball bat breaks. And so the guy's still got the broken handle in his hand. And while they're tussling, he must have stabbed Joel in the abdomen with the the broken yeah. handle of that baseball bat. Yeah. Yep. Uh, did you guys like. Oh, and, and also that's a total Easter egg from the game. When Joel choked that guy out and broke his neck. Mm-hmm. That's you do that over and over again in the game if you're playing leaning towards the stealth side. The um, the map Brian just mentioned as well for yeah. game fans. Everyone knows that's a definite Easter egg as well. When Joel pulls out the handle, I was like, no, no, like, don't yeah. do that. Well, yeah. Well, the first thing I said was like, you never do that. Like, yeah. And all you listeners out there, if you ever find yourself in a situation where you're impaled, don't pull that out. Because it's holding the blood at bay. I think I Let saw a David professional pull it out. I think I saw David Schwimmer have that in a '90s "The More You Know" commercial. You know, <laughs> dun, 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 dun. I, I literally said it out loud. I'm like in the kitchen, like with my headphones on, watching this on my phone, and out loud I go, "Oh, don't pull that out. You got to leave that in." I know. I I, I was thinking my the wife same thing. And goes what? G.I. <laughs> Joe. She thought, she thought you were watching porn again. No shit. <laughs> Don't pull that out. <laughs> I didn't even think of that before. And she's like, ah, oh, Joe, you're watching porn again. <laughs> In the kitchen. Cream pie porn. <laughs> In the kitchen. We have children. They eat there. <laughs> I'm the guy that just walks around with headphones on watching hardcore porn. Cream pies so watching cream <laughs> <laughs> don't pull it out never pull it out <laughs> so um yeah joel pulls the joel pulls it out um they get on <laughs> big mistake yeah. he pulls it out things are gushing <laughs> we, we are teens we're teenagers <laughs> Well, Ellie's more mature than us. I'm telling you. <laughs> I think Ellie would have loved these jokes. Yeah, she would have. She oh, would've. she would have. Especially if Joel weren't laying there dying yeah. and you were acting uncomfortable about it instead. We're no Will Livingston, though. I will say that much. <laughs> um, they get on the horse. They get the hell out of there. The guys are still chasing after them, but they, they you know, they give up. They can't keep up with the horse. Um. Do they is it? Do they reach some train tracks? Is that where they stop? I can't yeah, remember. Well, yeah, they eventually get to some train tracks, and and that's where where Ellie says they're not following us anymore. Yeah, and then yeah, Joel just drops and falls off the horse. Oh, fuck. Yeah, and Ellie and, is basically uh, saying like, you know, I'm lost without you. I don't know where to go. I mean, this is her worst fear. Remember in Endure and Survive, her worst feel, fear that she admitted to to Sam was ending up in this world alone. And this is what I mean, her worst fear is coming to a, a realization here. And uh, d- just the fact that the show is smart enough to let us know, like, this is like her worst fear coming true. I just felt so bad for Ellie in this moment. And it, it just it feels this this episode ends in a way where we just feel like everything is hopeless. It's like, oh, my God, I don't know anything about the next episode. I don't want to know anything about the next episode, to be honest with you. Um, but it just feels hopeless in this moment. Well, not only is it her greatest fear happening, it's his greatest fear happening at the same time. He can't protect her. He's too weak to protect her. So in that moment, literally both of their biggest fears are happening. Yeah. And boom, cut to black. 
Yeah. Damn. What an episode. My God. Oh, yeah. Mm. Man, and for them to just have that moment, too, where they finally connect mm-hmm. and their relationship is getting on and you think that they've gone through the hardship. And then the last 10 minutes of this episode, it just puts you right back in. No, 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 no. You know, it was nice what happened in Jackson there, and, and it was nice seeing civilization again, but this is the reality of this world. These are the dangers that these characters are facing, and and we're going to let you soak on that for a while because we're, we're just going to cut to credits in, 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 in the tensest part of this episode. So are we guessing that Salt Lake City doesn't have a QZ? Oh, I didn't even think about that. Well, I mean, the Fireflies are going there, and it felt like... Yeah, so it can't really be Fedra, because yeah. those seem to be antagonistic. Right. Unless Fireflies, like, infiltrated Salt Lake City Fedra, and then, yeah, you know, maybe, they'd be may- okay. Maybe come on down. Well, yeah, exactly. Like, maybe they've come across... Like, maybe they through the radio, they know that... You know, like we we saw what happened in Kansas City. You know, it wasn't the fireflies, but they were overtaken. And maybe the fireflies have overtaken Salt Lake City. So, but you got to, I don't know. You got to feel like even getting within Salt Lake City, there's going to be tons of infected. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's a major city. Hmm. Just sit this one out. Billy's sitting it out. Yeah, thank you. I <laughs> I appreciate that, Billy. I really do. But uh, loved, loved, loved this episode. We've only got three left. Only yep. three to go. Uh, I've seen the titles for the that I've seen. I have. I didn't. I didn't read what they are. I see that the titles for the next two episodes are out there, and the nine the episode nine title has not been revealed yet. Oh, I haven't seen the episode titles yet. I did watch the preview for next week, so I got a feeling of of what sort of ground they're covering next week, and and I'm very excited for it without spoiling anything about it. Oh, this episode also ends with the episode one song, uh, "Never Let Me Down Again," um, but it's a uh, an acoustic cover of it, and I found out that the acoustic cover was done by was it Neil Druckmann's daughter. Uh, uh, not Neil Druckmann, the other Craig Mason? Mason's daughter, Greg Mason's daughter. Yeah. Okay. Craig Mason's daughter. Yeah. Yeah. Jessica yeah, Mason. Listen to him talk about that. And what an incredible voice that girl has. Oh yeah. Yeah. And it's kind of symbolic, right? Because at the end of the first episode, it's an older male voice. And now it's a young female voice singing the same song, kind of saying like, okay, now like we're like Ellie is the, is like taking charge, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, god damn, I'm ready. Oh. Ah, I'm ready for the next episode. I'm not ready for the series to end. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Yeah. I mean, we're we're really coming up in the final stretch here with just 3 episodes to go. <sighs> All right. Yeah, I can't believe I can't believe there's only so few episodes left. Yeah. You know, what's crazy, though, is like as soon as this ends, we're going to get more Pedro Pascal March 1st with The Mandalorian <laughs> Season 3. <laughs> Helmet back on. Totally different vibe of a show, but right. also still Lone Wolf and Cub. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. 
Oh, man. Billy, it was nice to have you back, man. It was nice being back. Yeah. yeah great, great episode to come back for. Yeah. But uh, any final thoughts on the episode before we wrap this one? Just just an, a, another great episode. This show just continues to be amazing. Uh, absolutely worth everybody's time. And, and I think when 2023 is all said and done, this is going to still be up there with one of the best mm-hmm. TV shows of the year. Because for, you know, for the first quarter of the year here, they are setting the bar very high. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. I, I think HBO is realizing that maybe they don't have to rest their laurels on Game of Thrones spinoffs. Agreed. <laughs> you got to be thinking that they're like, man, you know, this Chernobyl guy's pretty good. And uh, <laughs> hmm. Hmm. So, um, yeah, uh, we'll end it there. Whoa. Did I lose somebody? I don't think so. Nope. I heard Skype noises on my end. It's, it felt like I was in – it did that boop, boop. I felt like I was in a submarine for a moment. <laughs> <laughs> I felt like I was like in Hunt for Red October. I was looking around for uh, Sean Connery. Uh-oh. I didn't know what was going on. <laughs> that was funny. <laughs> boop, boop. Like weird. Whoa. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Melissa, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Mellow Yellow and co-hosting the Wild Pretty Things podcast. What are you talking about on Wild Pretty Things right now? Um, We have just released our second episode, kind of finalizing our 2022 favorite movies. And we are going to be recording a review of the beloved movie musical Chicago coming up soon. Ah. Uh. I've never watched it. I'm not. Anyway. I'm glad. Yeah. <laughs> we, we know how I feel about musicals. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Billy, where can people find you, man? Yeah, I'm the host of the Reality Guys YouTube channel. Uh, you can find us there and on TikTok. We cover everything and anything reality television, anything from the Netflix reality shows like The Perfect Match, The Circle, The Ultimatum, Love is Blind to the classics like Bachelor survivor the challenge love island and even some of these kind of one-off weird shows like uh milf manor 90 day fiance so you can find us the reality guys on youtube tiktok any kind of social media and you can find me taking an antacid here shortly i don't think that kung pao chicken set well with me guys if you know oh my god it's (laughs) just started creeping up on me at the end of this episode oh my god (laughs) No, you can find – I'm serious, man. Jesus Christ. Um, you can find me on Pop Culture Leftovers uh, with Joe uh, where we talk about uh, the latest in uh, TV and movies. We review all the new stuff that's coming out for the week. And then we have a heavy focus on Marvel and DC with all the TV and movie news as well. And this week we're talking about – it's going to be – it's going to be the bare necessities, Joe. We're going to be talking about <laughs> nice <laughs> Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey, and Cocaine Bear. So yeah, we're going to be. Those are just just a couple teases, but uh, yeah, join us next week uh, for episode seven of The Last of Us. We'll be back next week. Thanks a lot, guys. <laughs>